Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. I'm your host, Kira Holly, and I am the West Midlands Group's Communications Officer. Earlier this year, many farms across the West Midlands region suffered a severe weather event and wind erosion. Today's episode features a conversation from back in late October this year between the West Midlands Group's Executive Officer Nathan Craig and Deepard's Paul Finlater on this very topic. Nathan and Paul discussed the history of wind erosion impacts on farming, the reasons why wind events have caused so much damage to paddocks in recent years, and preventative methods to reduce the risk of erosion this summer and autumn. Before we get into it, here's a little bit about Paul. Paul has a degree in natural resource management and more than 38 years experience in the management of agriculture, sustainability issues and soils research across both WA's agricultural region, the rangelands and in the Northern Territory. Paul has served on the board of community organisations and worked with researchers from universities, the CSIRO and overseas organisations with an emphasis on sustainable agricultural development. This has provided Paul with the skills and experience in management and soils research, including wind erosion and soil surveying. Now, before we hear from today's guest, I'd just like to say the information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on information provided in this podcast. Welcome to the West Midlands Group Paddock Chat Podcast. My name's Nathan Craig and I'm the Executive Officer of the group and I've been allowed back in the chair to deliver or to record my second podcast. Today we are going to talk about wind erosion and talking to Paul Finlater from the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development. Listeners would remember earlier on in the year, uh, around the break to the season, we did have some pretty nasty wind events and there was a lot of dust in the air. So today we just want to unpack and kind of work through that a little bit, um, you know, what were the actual causes. Paul's had a bit of a look into it at, at the time. And I guess what we really need to keep in mind for the future, just to make sure that we limit the amount of dust in the air and some of the off-site impacts that could happen to communities and and in cities. Paul, what what has been done around wind erosion in the past, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years? It it used to be an issue and then probably not so much in recent times. Yeah, in around the 1970s, early 80s, wind erosion was quite a serious problem in WA. Farmers, they didn't have herbicides to control weeds, so the main way of controlling weeds was through cultivation. That left the paddocks exposed and whatever, but even going back before then, the Soil and Land Conservation Act 1945 obviously came into being in 1945, but the act prior to that was actually called the Sand Drift Act, so it's been an issue in WA for a very long time. We had a change in farming systems towards herbicides and minimum tillage and whatever, and that significantly reduced the problem. And more recently, there there was a move away from livestock in much of WA, so that's currently an issue. The size of the sheep flock and whether it's sustainable and that, that's probably not as much a cause of the current erosion as it was in the late 80s and early 90s when I first came to WA. There were a lot of 
wind erosion events or or severe dust issues coming out of the 70s and into the 80s and then kind of what changed you know what what was the adaption that's reduced wind erosion now to be less on farmers minds there was a change away an improvement in understanding of uh, the causes Uh, the main ones i see are minimum tillage and stubble retention and an understanding of how much stubble to leave on the surface better grazing management in the livestock case it's um, confined feeding and those sort of strategies to reduce grazing pressure on paddocks and getting sheep off early on the livestock side of things people often keep grazing paddocks till they're bare but our evidence uh, shows that say with uh, spilt grains from short lupin paddocks that the energy expended by sheep in getting that extra grain far outsees the energy they get the amount of spilt grain is is usually still enough stubble there to minimize the risk of erosion so well before you get below our critical levels of stubble you should be pulling your livestock off and minimum till you know everyone knows what that is is keeping the amount of stubble on the surface and standing is the issue so yeah one of the big advances was you know, the adoption of minimum tillage and, and retaining stubble and being able to sow with one pass rather than cultivation and the West Australian No-Till Farmers Association you know led that um, you know over over a, a number of years and, and that's been pretty successful in you know stabilising pretty much most of WA. You've had a look around this year with the wind erosion events. What sort of things did you find were contributing to the wind erosion that, that we saw? I actually got back from overseas in October last year and I wanted to see how the season was going and I went for a drive around to the sort of eastern margins of the wheat belt, so not necessarily in the West Midlands area, but it was evidence that we'd had a dry season. I knew we'd had a dry season, but there were paddocks that were fallowed or paddocks where crops had failed and they were already blowing in October. Now, if paddocks are blowing in October, they're going to continue to blow all summer. We've had a number of uh, less than average seasons and it depends on where, where you sit and the hit and miss of the rain, whether a particular paddock has enough stubble to last the whole summer. So coming into this year, we were already in a situation where some farmers had insufficient ground cover right at the very start before they even went. And then we've had a system change over the last, I'd say, 10 or 15 years. Certainly in in the northern part of the state after the 2006-07 drought, early sowing was probably 20-30% of farmers probably sowed before the break of the season. Now it's probably 70% of growers uh, seeding before the break of the season. So you're going into a period where... You've come off a low rainfall year, you've got low stubble levels, you're sowing earlier and the action of sowing, um, even with uh, minimum till technology and whatever, is going to just inherently leave some paddocks exposed to dry conditions for longer. So it doesn't rain, the paddocks are sitting there with an insufficient stubble and, and they're going to blow. Now, it's obviously not all the paddocks are going to blow, it'll be parts of paddocks have insufficient stubble. Now, another thing people have done over the last 10 to 15 years, soil amelioration technology. Now, some of these technologies, they do it before the season breaks because they want to recover their costs in that current year. 
and they often do it on loop and stubbles, which are far more riskier in terms of leaving sufficient residue. So they end up with probably 5 or 10% stubble cover, and it's all knocked over, so the risk of wind erosion is quite high. It doesn't rain, so the soils dry out and they begin to move, and then over a number of weeks, the whole soil surface is mobilised and when you get a big blow, it takes off. So you've had that technology with soil amelioration practices that leave the soil exposed and bare. Not all of them do. You've got practices such as deep ripping. I've seen some paddocks deep ripped early and they've maintained sufficient cloddy surface. The clods are stable enough with the stubble and everything to resist erosion and at least minimise your risk. So you're never ever going to get rid of the risk but the aim is to minimize the risk hello again i'm just jumping in here to let you know that we actually recorded an episode earlier this year with dan darrigan producer and west midlands group member duncan glassford who shared his experience ameliorating his non-wetting soils after the break of the season to avoid wind erosion he's had great results doing it this way which you can hear all about in that episode the episode is called the advantages of late season soil amelioration and it's been a very popular episode with our listeners so if you haven't already tuned into that one the name of that again is the advantages of late season soil amelioration Alrighty, back to it i remember talking to you earlier on the year you were doing a bit of a look around the the districts in in mid to late autumn just trying to understand uh, where the dust is coming and going from what other things did you see kind of stick out you've mentioned that the early sowing um well, was a contributor yeah the early sowing soil amelioration were the main ones that stuck out on on vulnerable paddocks I also saw some paddocks that had clearly been sown, but the stubble was still standing and they didn't blow. So it is possible to uh, keep your stubble standing upright and not blow. Clearly, what was it, 24th of May 2020 this year, we had an extreme erosion event. But we did have events before that. But on that day, I went for a drive. Now, I got visibility got down to less than 10 metres for me. The dust was also coming off fire breaks and roadways and things like that. You know, that represents maybe 5 or 10% of the farm. So you're always going to get some erosion off that. I suspect paddocks where crops had failed or they just didn't have sufficient growth or they hadn't even been planted previous year, they, they would have blown. Obviously, where fire's gone through and taken out your paddocks. So there are situations where beyond the farmer's control, stop erosion, but there are certainly other situations. I saw paddocks that clearly had been sown this year. In the West Midlands, I saw these that came down through here in June and there were paddocks there that had clearly survived the blow stubble was standing and they had a crop coming up between the standing stubble stalk it is possible work has shown that standing stubble also reduces spread of some types of plant diseases too so there are benefits there in maintaining your stubble after seeding Going forward, as, as we kind of alluded to, there are some strategies that can allow us to reduce our the potential for wind erosion, as you've kind of mentioned already. It's not so much about, or at this stage, it's probably a long shot to be able to reduce wind erosion to absolutely zero. But what are some of the things that we can do or, or the farmers should be looking at, some of the benchmarks that they should be looking at to significantly reduce the amount of wind erosion? 
coming off farms? It's, it's a little bit like real estate where uh, position, position, position are the three rules of real estate. Uh, I'm going to say the rules of controlling erosion are maintaining ground cover above target of 50% now. That's when it's all knocked over and flat. So if you've got a a surface covered with gravel and it's got 50%, the erosion will be minimised to about 5 or 10% of what it would have been over bare ground. So we're not saying that stops it at that level, but you certainly reduce the risk. Having stubble standing will help you get through the wind erosion event. With wheat stubble, it's around about, I don't know, 40% standing. These things are a bit fluid because it depends on how the stubble is arranged, but our wind tunnel tests in the past have shown it's about 40%, with about 20 or 30% of that anchored in between, like on the ground surface in between the standing stalk. So if standing, that amounts to about um, 750 kilos of wheat straw or cereal straw, gluten straw, it's about 1,500 kilos. If everything's all knocked over... I've done some recent calculations with figures that we've got on the density of straw and whatever in the last few years, and it works out to a bit over a tonne of wheat straw and about a bit over two tonnes of lupin stubble if it's all knocked over. If you can imagine uh, being out in the paddock, you know, we're looking at the ground there. In this one, I don't know there. So you imagine a square on the ground. Try visually racing all the stubble into one part of the square and you estimate how much cover you got there. If it's less than about 50%, you're going to have erosion. And as it gets down, it goes up exponentially. So um, 40%, 40% cover or 50% cover is far more pre- preferable than 40% cover. But say it. 40% cover if it's being grazed and the lupins are all knocked over might be two or three times more the erosion rate than at 50% cover. So it's, it's not a linear thing. It goes up quite rapidly. So 10% is cover is a far lot worse than having, say, 20% cover. So every little bit counts. And it's a relativity thing. If it's all knocked over and lying on the ground, which is the worst-case scenario... The best you can do, you start to, um, is at about 50% cover and then you get very little improvement in erosion protection up till about 70 and then at about 70 you get hardly any erosion at all. But if you aim for about 50% if it's all knocked over, 40% if it's all standing up, that's what controls the erosion and the physics of it is that you've got standing stalks, they're slowing down the wind at the soil surface. So wind speeds slow quite dramatically as you go towards the surface. So if you have one of those handheld anemometers that you might use for spraying, next time you're out there on a windy day, just hold it at head height and see what the wind is and it might be blowing at 30 kilometres an hour. Hold it down right about a metre from the ground and it might be blowing at 26, 27 kilometres an hour. You put it right at the surface and it'll probably only be blowing at two or three kilometres an hour if that. If you've got standing stubble, that increases that change in wind speed again. So a more drag on the wind and that's, that's what uh, effectively um, reduces the wind erosion. If the stubble's all knocked over like, or if it's stuff like gravels on the surface, it's more of a direct sheltering. So you just 
reducing the area directly exposed. So that's why you need more stubble if it's all knocked over compared to whether it's standing. And that's similar with uh, cloddy soils as well, having the clods. Yep. Now, I don't want to encourage people to go out there and cultivate. In most places in in WA, uh, over the years, I've heard my paddock's blowing and I've gone out there and cultivated to prevent erosion. So the worst thing I want you to do is get that in your mind. You often see it in the US. They probably have different soils to what we have. The worst thing you can do is cultivate these sandy soils, particularly the the white sandy soils and grey sands that you have in the West Midlands here. But where you can cultivate is if, if you get clods, and you usually get it on the red soils further out east, but even on, you might get have some grey clays here in this region. And if you get a clod between your, your thumb and forefinger, and if after you cultivate you can't break those clods, they're going to give you quite a bit of erosion protection, and especially if you've got furrows, because any little bit of soil movement's going to get trapped pretty early on and not go on. But if you do it on sandy soils and you get ridges formed, the ridges take off a lot easier than the furrows do. The furrows fill up quickly, and then the whole paddock's gone. And that's what sort of happened on the um, 24th, 25th of May this year. And, and again, if, you, if the paddock's been blowing, there, there could have been that um, sorting and loss of the, the finer particles yeah. and leaving the bigger uh, ones. And then if you cultivate again, you bring more fine particles up to blow away again. So. Yeah. Now, what also happens is that sorting, if it is blowing, what happens is you lose soil at one end of the paddock, so if you're consistently getting erosive winds from the north, for example. It doesn't always happen that way. You lose soil at the leading edge of the, uh, or, or it deflates at the leading edge, and then there's this sorting process goes across the whole paddock and you end up with a layer of coarse material across the whole paddock. So you've lost all your fines, you lose all your organic matter, but you don't lose those particles that are, say, 250 or a millimetre in size. They remain as an armouring layer and they, in a sense, protect your soil from further loss. It all gets then dumped on the edge of the paddock, which may become a problem legally for you and your neighbour or you and the shire with roads so you've got to watch out for that but that sorting is very important and as you say if you go and cultivate again (laughs) you uh, loosen up the soil again if you've had any rain overnight or any slight moisture you dry out the soil you're bringing up all your fines again for another round of dust blowing through your house or through the neighbour's house or across the road and all sorts of issues can occur as a result of that. It sounds like the best cure for wind erosion is prevention. Going through summer now, what are some of the some of the things that, that farmers should be looking for as the season is progressing just to make sure they can identify when to pull stock off and, and or what to do as well. So we do we do have some other tools up our sleeve now. Um, you know, there's an increase in in which you've touched on before, an increase in confinement feeding. So do you want to touch lightly on some of the other practices that can be that you've seen that could be used to remove stock from paddocks and still be able to manage uh, the, the livestock for, for really good welfare? Well, there's confinement feeding, there's adjustment, and there are other versions of confinement feeding, putting livestock in 
refuge areas on your farm, refuge paddocks. You've got to bear in mind some of your conservation requirements there. That's around livestock. If you go to the DPIRD website, you can get really detailed information on that. On the cropping side, people are, some have begun harvest, obviously, but those harvesting, again, if you jump on our website, there's really good source material on how to modify your your harvester, uh, simple modifications to harvest short crops. We're going through a cycle, so you're harvesting short crops. You can do that. Again, always bearing in mind you're aiming to leave as much residue on the surface as possible. If there is spilt grain going forward when you're grazing and you want to get some of that advantage on our website for various crops such as cereal or, or looping crops, we've got guidelines on how much seed spilt on the ground and at what point after which it doesn't become energy efficient for the livestock to continue grazing that those paddocks uh, you can get that information from the DPIRD website and and that's a good point just to I guess highlight that even though there might be a few grains on the ground the actual cost energy cost for the for the sheep to actually go and chase them is you know it's going to cost them more energy than they're actually getting so they are better off not being on the paddock and then not putting that paddock in a position where it could blow and then have all of these other negative effects as well. Now, going forward, sort of going forward of what people can do, come summer, January, it might rain. If it doesn't rain, the advice is keep monitoring your stubble levels in your paddock. You probably shouldn't be grazing your stubbles. If you've managed to harvest efficiently, there's very little energy benefit in the straw that remains. If you've got to... Uh, control your weeds. Try using herbicides. Again, it's a, a, a value judgment of the grower on where they stand financially and a whole lot of other things. But our recommendation is that you probably use herbicides to control your weeds early. It becomes a problem if it rains again and you get another germination and all those sort of things. The next issue is going into next year because some areas haven't had a good year this year. We encourage you to try and maximise production. So early sowing, uh, soil amelioration, all those things the department promotes. Of course, it's a catch-22. If you don't get your production level up, you won't get your biomass up. And if you don't get your biomass up, you'll have a wind erosion problem. But the issue is your paddocks at risk, like your lupin paddocks and that, our recommendation for techniques such as spading, try and defer them till much later in your program, even your early sowing. Don't sow those paddocks that are at risk as early. Leave them till later in your program or until after it rains. So hopefully this might only be you know 10 or 20% of your program that you can push back towards the end of your seeding program. The whole aim is to minimise the risk of erosion. Now, again, all these things, are, it's a risk management issue, but if you go and spade a paddock in February, March, you could have four months of the paddock with nothing on it and at risk from erosion. Growers at Banu were discussing these options about uh, maybe they should they were thinking of looking at their seeding program more strategically or tactically in the sense of shifting their seeding operations around depending on the risk profile of their paddocks. 
Yeah, and that, that's probably one of the key learnings for me out of this discussion today is just is that if, if you've got paddocks that are starting to blow, you know, in autumn, dry seeding is not probably going to be the option that you should be trying. I know there would be some idea that if you do form some ridges and some furrows up that it'll stop blowing, but you know, through our discussion today, it's probably going to be likely the, the opposite case. And we saw that a lot, you know, with a lot of paddocks this year that they were just, they were blowing out, dry sowing and then blowing out. Thank you, Paul, for our uh, for the chat today. I've definitely learned a lot about some of the causes and, and some of the things that we can actually do to reduce the amount of wind erosion. That brings us to the end of this episode. But before we go, here are a couple of key messages from Paul and Nathan's chat. Above ground residues, such as retained stubbles, are your best bet for reducing the impact of a severe wind event on your soils. Some soil amelioration techniques put your paddock at a higher risk of being eroded when applying amelioration before the break of the season. In today's show notes, we'll provide useful resources from the Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development, including a guide which contains images that outline the percentages of ground cover you should be aiming for to reduce wind erosion. If you're concerned about your paddocks heading into the summer-autumn period, you can visit DPIRD's website for a whole bunch of great resources that will help you get on top of this issue. The best way to receive our updates and to stay in the loop with the latest in local research is by becoming a West Midlands Group member. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do and we pride ourselves on ensuring members like you receive relevant, innovative information. A membership gets you early access to our workshops, free or discounted entry for up to three farm business members to our major events, including Springfield Days, and exclusive access to a member-only publications like our technical newsletter, the WMG Quarterly. For more information, visit our website where you can sign up anytime. The West Midlands Group is excited to offer free membership between October and December this year. So don't miss this great opportunity to get a taste of what we can offer your farm business. Simply follow the link in today's show notes to sign up. And thank you as always for tuning in. You can stay in the loop by subscribing so that you know when the next episode drops. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review. I'd like to thank our sponsors and members without whom this would not be possible. See you next time for some more Paddock Chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.